for the believer, when Jesus came, this this is the season, of course, of Christ and and uh, coming and, and and being our Savior. It's the gift to the world, and and joy to the world was the expression that came in that time. Not 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 just because like oh hey a Savior a Messiah. They understood that this changes everything, and they didn't have any other choice but then for joy to spill out of them. Like he's come and he's here and he's for us. Therefore, just joy. Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but even Nehemiah just says that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's not our biblical knowledge, which is insanely important. And theology absolutely matters, but it's this joy that we carry of God that is a strength. It's an attribute. It's something that you can carry and have with you. Amen. And we live in a culture that there's a lot of joy killers out there. There's a lot of things that can happen and circumstances and scenarios and uh, even the way that people speak to one another that can steal joy. How I many know we all struggle with this ability of maintaining joy? I said it last week, you know, I don't think there's any of us getting to the end of our day that's like, hold on a minute, I got to just find something to do with all this joy. Just The joy has just been too much today, give me a minute. You put the kids to bed and you're like, hold on, that whole process of putting kids to the kids to bed, just too much joy for me. I just really need to admit, no, it's my coworkers. I tell you what, today, my coworkers, we just so much joy all day long. I just, every one of them, I got to tell you, I need a minute because every text I got today, so much joy from every, is that just me or is that, no, it's all of us. We're all, we're all in this thing of like fighting for joy and contending and then Philippians, which is the book of joy. Uh, it gives us all of these great ways that we can have joy, even in the midst of circumstances that don't line up with happiness. Are you with me? And uh, I began to even look at our patterns. So you could even look at like binge watching, you know, and just some of the things that we do, the way that we have to stay so filled on caffeine or why? Because we're, we're trying to find something that brings us a happiness or a joy. Or, are you with me? You could even look at the debt problem that we have in America with among Americans. It's what we're spending so much money that we don't have to find what? Joy and happiness and entertainment. Are you with me? And so it's important that we have this conversation about joy because joy matters. Now, if I'm thinking about joy, if I'm thinking about things that make me happy, um, of course, you're going to start with um, this place called Disney World. Those of you that don't know, we're a huge Disney family. Like our budget works like this. I've said this before. We put God first in our giving. That's number one when we set out our budget is what we, what we believe God is calling us to do with our money. Number two is our trip to Disney World. Number three is like the mortgage and food and everything. <laughs> Literally, we just, we love Disney. So I've brought actually a video with me for you to just get a feel about the happiest place on earth. Let's go ahead and roll this video. Go ahead and hit that guy's. A dazzling place I never knew. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. Let me share this whole new world with you. So this is what Disney tries to pitch to you, this whole new world, the happiest place on earth. You just saw the video. Can I tell you something? That's what it's like when you go there. It's like that the whole time. You just walk like this. Your kids are perfect. Are you with me? Mom's talking about the heat. Can I tell you something? 
this thing happens at the happiest place on earth, and it's called joy killers. What you don't see in this video, one is one mom just mentioned, is the heat. How come in this commercial they don't show you sitting there like, <sighs> your ice cream cone of like <sighs> is melting all over you, ants are crawling up where it dripped all down, your, and you're standing at wall with your $44 ice cream that's like, it's a joy killer. The lines. I didn't notice in that commercial where the line wrapped all the way through the animal kingdom, all the way into Hollywood studio, all the way into the, like, we're in this part. Yeah, but the line started at the other park. You'll, you'll get to the ride in 17 days. It's a joy killer. You don't see that in there. And the cost and all the things. Uh, you don't see any of that walking through the park because you got to just keep going to be able to experience the happiest thing. You're just walking. Literally, all you hear is just your bleeding blisters. Like, <laughs> Just bleeding all up. You're just in a line of following people. They're bloody blisters. Some of you are so grossed out right now. That's in the next commercial that they're going to show. Because well, joy killers show up. And it's hot and it's humid. So you're trying to take a family picture. Your wife's hair looks like Cruella DeVille. She <laughs> can't use any of those photos. Because the humidity. You're laughing at me now. I felt it move from here to here. Because of what I'm going to have to deal with. Like, what, ha what happened to the happiest place on where the, all these joy killers came in and killed our happiest place on earth? And I'm not even talking about the airports and the travel to get there and all that. I'm not talking about any of that stuff that happens. And what we do in life about our, our lives, when you wake up in the morning and you start rehearsing what your day's going to be, you start putting together a, a video of it should be that. My, my day with my husband is going to be don't you? My day with my wife is going to be, and my kids are, and we all do this. And then when the joy killers come in, we throw it off. Are you anybody? Is there anybody relating to what I'm saying today? And, and the world wants to, every commercial is like Christmas as you walk out to the BMW and everything is that. And it's not reality, is it? But Philippians give us a bunch of ways for us to say, listen, when it's not that, do these things instead. It's almost as if God knew that we would face trials and have unfavorable circumstances. Therefore, he spoke to a writer. You understand what I'm saying? So I think for us, it's important for us to take some time to say, we realize that life is not going to be a Disney commercial. Are you with me? We, we, we realize that there's going to be some things, and we talked about it last week, and I don't have time to debrief. I hope you can watch the videos. But, but the scripture we looked at last week says this, consider it pure joy when what? When you face circumstances that are not a Disney World commercial. And some of it is like, yeah, the kids are crazy, but some of it is real heavy, like health. And you understand what I'm saying? So when it's not the Disney World video, what do we do with these joy killers? Consider it pure joy when facing these trials, the scripture taught us. It said, because going through all of that and trusting on God, I'm paraphrasing, will allow us to be perfected and complete and lacking nothing in the way God has called us to be. Amen. Happiness, we said last week, is based on happenings. Everything has to go right. It can't be hot. There can't be long lines. There can't be all these. Happiness is based on happenings that have to line up perfectly. But joy for us is a choice. Are you with me? Philippians 4. 
We're going to jump back into the, the book of joy. And so again, this is Paul writing to us. He's from jail. I can't get into a lot of detail about this, but he's literally in the cell. Now it's not the jail cell that you're thinking where it's like a cot in a, in a sink and something. No, he's probably in like a mud hut, either a pit dug into the ground. No, no, no plumbing, no sewer. He's just kind of in his own situation. And he's writing the book of joy that we find in Philippians. So Philippians four, verse one says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, and he's saying this to you today as well, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So remember, Paul, he's a church planter. He's writing to this church that he planted, but it also is a letter written to you today. So he's saying, you're my joy, you're my crown, you Christ followers, you people building the church and being the body of Christ. He's saying, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Then he makes a couple mentions in a few other scriptures, but this is what he's talking about. We need to stand firm in. We find it in verse four. Stand firm in this verse four, which is to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So it's like, hey, don't, don't pass over this thing that to stand firm in God, you have to be a person who's able to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, let me just say it one more time so you don't glaze over this. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. For you to stand firm in God, for you to make it, for you to be able to have and be and, and, and walk in all that God has for you, you have to learn the ability to be able to rejoice in God, not in circumstances, not in situations, not in people, somebody say amen, but be able to rejoice in God and who he is and what he does and how he loves us. You have to be able to find your joy from that. And again, that is what he says. Stand firm by rejoicing. So I want to talk to you about three joy killers that we're going to pull from Philippians chapter 4. Because joy killers exist. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, that the thief, meaning the devil, our adversary, the enemy, it says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if joy of God is a strength for us, if it's something we're called to stand firm in, and the scripture says rejoice, and again I say rejoice, the word rejoice in that meaning is actually reignite. Reignite the joy in the Lord. Be a person who stands firm in keeping joy ignited on the inside of you. How many are with me? Stay ignited in the joy of the Lord. Stay ignited in God. So therefore, the enemy is saying, I'm going to be a steal, kill, and destroy person. I'm going to come take that from you. He's on mission to steal, kill, and destroy your joy. Are you tracking with me today? Anybody? Can I get a witness this morning? That you're saying, I know the enemy's coming after my joy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Nehemiah 8.10 says this, that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. You can't do it and be it and achieve it without joy in your life. Probably good for you to write down. You can't do it, be it, and achieve it without joy in your life. It is your strength. They're, they're, they're measuring up two different sports teams and they're saying, you know, but how's this person, you know, how's this team going to fare against this team? How's, well, the strength of this team is they have the ability to do this. When you're being measured up about how you're going to overcome the enemy and how you're going to make it, how you're going to fulfill your purpose, one of your strengths you should be operating is in joy. We got too many resting Christian faces. I don't like that. Uh, well, yeah, I got a lot more in me, mom. Don't worry. 
who are walking around and they say, no, no, no. One of the strengths that you should have is your joy. You walk into the atmosphere, you have joy. You're leading the people in your community with joy. It's one of our strengths. So the enemy comes to try and kill the ability to have joy. So point number one, we find as a joy killer, one of the joy killers we're going to look at today is anxiety. We'll read it here in just a minute. But one of the joy killers that the enemy works hard at bringing into our life is anxiety. You ever have a great day? You ever be walking through life having a great day and everything's going well, and then all of a sudden you have a thought or you read a thing or you get a text, and all of a sudden all of that joy goes out the window and you're planted in anxiety. Just like that in one moment, you went from here to here, and now all of a sudden you're living in complete anxiousness. Why? Because that's what the enemy tries to do. Here's what I would say. Joy is from God. Anxiety is from the enemy. I know that's real basic, but joy is from God. Anxiety is from the enemy. Anytime you feel yourself go from here to here into anxiousness, you've stepped away from the way that God wants to minister in love on you. Are you with me? Philippians chapter four, verse six says this. Do not, it doesn't say sometimes, it doesn't say maybe. It says, do not be anxious about some things. No, anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It would be really mean of the writer here if all this scripture said was, do not be anxious about anything. And he doesn't give us another option. He doesn't give us a solution. He says, just don't be anxious about anything. No, but instead he goes on by giving us the answer. And it's an answer that we can trust. Why? Because he has the experience. He's a guy sitting in a jail who's falsely persecuted and all this kind of stuff. And he says, look, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Not your neighbor. Not your... Present all of these requests to God. I love this quote by uh, George Mueller. It says this, the beginning of anxiety... Let me say it like this. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You can't live a life of anxiety and anxiousness and also walk full of faith. I'm not saying you can't ever have a time of anxiousness or anxiety, but the scripture says we have to do something with those things to God with them. Are you walking with me? The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 7 says it to us like this. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We're going to break this down. I actually asked somebody to come help me with this. So if I could get James P. Sullivan to help me today. Okay, Uh, here's our guy, James P. Sullivan which, by the way, is one of the most underrated Disney Pixar movies of all time, Monsters University. Uh, Not University, the first one. The second one's good, too. But Scripture says this, Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Now, in this time, it would have been a fishing terminology that they would understand to cast something. They would cast their nets. They, of course, would cast the other ways that they could catch fish. It even makes sense for us to understand what casting is. You literally to throw away from where you are, to cast off every care. One translation says, cast all your cares on him. Uh, This translation says anxiety. To cast is to throw away from you. 
Are you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So literally, it would almost be like hot potato is how we're called to live with our cares and anxiety. Remember the game hot potato, right? If I could just get 10 people right now, come up here. We're going to play it. <laughs> but as soon as you get it, what? You're trying to get rid of it. As soon as it comes to you, you because what? You don't want to be, when the song ends, you don't want to be what? Holding your care. When your end of your day comes, when the end of your minute comes, when the end of your hour comes, you don't want to be the person still holding an anxiety. You don't want to be the person still holding a care. That's why I'm saying cast it. Get this thing out of it. As soon as depression, you get it. As soon as this situation comes, you try to get it. Where are we putting it? On God. Because he cares for us. Because he's actually the one who's going to handle it all. So cast it to God. He's the one who cares. Cast everything that comes to God. Are you with me? This is where I get to have a little preacher phone with you. Do you know what we do in the American church when it comes to our cares and our anxieties? Do we cast them to God? Do we throw them away from us as far as possible into the hands of God with thanksgiving and petition? Make it, do we do that? Can I tell you what we do? We just coddle our cares, don't we? Oh, we get all these cares and anxieties and situations, and we start walking around telling everybody, have you seen my care? Look at me. Look at this anxiety I have. Look at this care that I have, isn't it? We start building our identity on this care. They didn't do this for me, and so now I have this thing. Everybody needs to know what they didn't do for me. Come look at this. Don't we? Oh, man, I wish I could get some truthful people in here this morning. (laughs) So we just coddle this care. Well, I'd love to serve God, and I'd love to do more, but I got this care I got to take care of. I got this little care. And this little care, I don't know why they called it Care Bear. That's anti-scripture. <laughs> so all we do is spend a life just getting everybody to look at our cares, which we were supposed to cast. Yeah. Your identity is not your care. Yeah. Your identity is not your anxiety. Are you with me? Your identity is not your situation. Right. And so we don't cast it. We keep it. We coddle it. And we miss all that God has for us. Because he's the one who can handle it. He's the one. And we say, oh, this care over here, ain't it so sweet? Have you seen my care? I'm so proud of that care. I've been nursing that care for 40 years. Anybody with me? Now we're going to take it another step further. Instead of casting it, we coddle it. And so then the next thing we do, which to me is even worse, is we start to cope with it. We start to say, oh, instead of casting this thing, instead of giving this thing to God with prayers and petitions and requests him, instead of throwing this thing far from me to where it belongs, instead we find ways to just do life coping with it. So we just drink a little on the weekend to be able to cope with it, numb it out. Then we just drink a little on weekdays every single night to numb it out and cope with it. And then it's afternoons on the weekends. Then all of a sudden, it's every day. Are you with me? Because we just want to cope with it and get through. Because it's just a season that becomes a life. Is there any real people in here today? (laughs) And so we're just now, we're just coping with it. We got all these coping mechanisms. You know, they're legal now. You should get some gummies and cope with it. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) We spend and we entertain and we do all these things. Instead of casting, we have coping mechanisms to just hang on to all our anxieties, all of our cares, all of our things. When God is saying, they don't belong in your life, cast them. Are you with me? Give it up for James P. Sullivan here. He's a good guy. I made him out to look bad there, but 
So the scripture says, we don't cope. We don't find ways to just cope. Verse 8 of 1 Peter says this. It says, be alert and sober-minded. It's not an anti-alcohol message. What this is, is this is an anti-coping message of God wants you out of these things. He doesn't want you bound by these cares and anxiety and joy killers. He wants us to be able to be alert and sober-minded. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. What does the scripture say? It doesn't say cope with them. It says resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I'm sad it's not going well for you. And I'm sad it doesn't go for well, well for me at times. And we have all of these sufferings. But guess what? Everyone has them. And therefore, that is not your reason to hold them. It's a good reason for us to actually cast them. Amen. And so we don't cope with them. We don't, we don't coddle them. We don't keep them. We cast them. And what happens when we cast? Verse 7 says this. Back to Philippians, it says that, or verse 7 says this, and then the peace, when we cast them, what happens? And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want your heart whole? You want your mind whole? Stop coping and coddling and holding on to all these. Instead, cast them so that what? It makes room for the peace of God which surpasses all understanding to get in position. Are you with me? And guys, look, I'm the first one to sit here and be like, I know it doesn't work this easy. I'm up here being all about it. And I realize it doesn't just happen. But what I'm here to to argue for and to defend against is, are you actually trying? Are we making the effort to pause ourselves and stop in a day and say, hold on, am I coping? Am I coddling? Am I just holding out? Or am I casting this thing? Are you with me? Joy killer number two. Oh, I can't even wait for this one. (laughs) Joy killer number two is complaining. Complaining. We have bought this lie in our lives. We have subscribed to and bought this lie that when you complain, things get better. For some reason, we think that if we complain about it, it's somehow going to make things better. Oh, if I tell this person, if I complain to this person, instead of casting it to the one who needs to hear about, we just complain and complain and complain. Are you with me? Complaining is not just bad for your joy. It's bad for your health. Here's what I learned this week. When you complain, you release the stress hormone called cortisol. The extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system. It makes you more susceptible to cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and your brain more vulnerable to stroke because of that being released in your life. So literally, all that church complaining that you do is the reason I have like a gut right now. It's your fault. You come to me with all your complaints and all your things, and then it just releases this stuff, and then I go to five guys and eat hot dogs, so... But literally, your life gets rewired. You've seen the stuff on Facebook about negativity and how it remaps our brain. Why? Because you weren't called to be a complainer in a negative and, and hold on to your... We're called to cast all that stuff. Are you with me? Yeah. And I believe this, that a negative life starts with a negative tongue. Complaining, complaining, complaining. Anybody can find the dirt. 
It takes somebody great to find the good. Let's be the people to go out there and find the good. We say it all the time. We say, people rise or fall to the level of your praise. If we're always out here talking about people up here, and they're this, and they're great, and we believe this, and they're so great. That's what we believe. And it's not a false thing, but we're, we're, we're talking about their strengths. They're good. But if all we do is talk negative and complain and every such situation is what's wrong and who's not doing what and da, 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 and we're always talking about people down here, do you know that they get to down here? People rise or fall to the level of our praise. Let's talk right. That's why verse 8, as we're continuing on, says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Let's just be a people who focus on what is going good and what God. And I'm not talking about you bury your head. I'm just talking about you don't live and consume and feed on the negativity and all the things that aren't right. I love Disney World and we go to Disney World. I'm telling you, I have all the situations where it doesn't go right. And And I can tell you story after story where things happen and it didn't look like the commercial. But you know what we leave there talking about? The fun and the things that did go right. Are you with me? Okay. (laughs) So that's what the scripture is telling us. Be a people who your mind is trained and focused on what is pure and what is true and what is lovely and what is working. Amen. When you think about it like this, and I'm not talking about you. You say something, you know, in your marriage or in your workplace, you should be able to talk about things that are out of order. I'm not talking about a good critique where you're like, hey, we should do better at this. I'm talking about murmuring, complaining, negativity. So think about it like this. When you want to just complain to complain, when you want to be negative just to be negative, think about this. When you complain about your insert situation, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. When all we do is feed on and speak into a negativity and rehearsing it, just know that when you do that, it's not making it better. It's making it worse. You say, how do you know that? Well, here's how I know that because the scripture says life and death is in the power of our tongue. And if we keep speaking death and destruction over situations in our life, we're going to receive that. So what do we do? I thought about it like this. The question we need to ask ourselves is, Am I talking about my issue or am I talking to my issue? Because it matters. Scripture gives us a teaching here. That's okay. She doesn't like that point because she can't talk. So it's like, this is over my head, mom. Get me out of here. So the question is this. Are you just talking about your issue or are you talking to your issue? Because what does the Bible say? When we have a mountain in our life, we're to do what to it? Speak to it. Instead, we're just walking around talking about it. The mountain, the mountain, the mountain, the mountain, all the mountain. The mountain's not moving. The mountain's not. And the scripture has given it life and death and the power of a tongue. If you've got a mountain that needs to move, speak to the mountain. I wonder what our life would look like if in every situation and in every mountain, we just used scripture and spoke it over every mountain instead of just blabbing to everybody on our street about it. If we used our words in the right scenarios, how many know that some of these things would change? And we would find our joy. Why? Because complaining is a joy killer. That's why he said, think on whatever is pure and true. Think on those things because complaining is a joy killer. Point three, and it's my last point, is discontentment is a joy killer. Discontentment. Uh, I am a faith person. I like to take risk and I like uh, 
to just onto the next thing. And I like to just go take the next mountain. And that's fun for me. The you Enneagram people, I'm a seven. So I'm always looking for the next adventure. What's the next thing we're going to do? That's a thing. And so for me, I battle. So for me, it's discontent me. So you, you get in a situation where I just feel the same old, stuck old, same old. You understand what I'm talking about? Like, what's the next challenge? What's the next adventure? What's the next thing we can go seize? Oh, let's, you know, any of you with me? So discontentment is something you have to, you have to guard against. Why? Because the scripture is saying, Paul, Paul says here in verse 11, I'm going to paraphrase this. We won't have it on the screen. But he talks about discontentment being a joy killer. It can steal your joy because you let yourself get discontent. He says this in verse 11. This is a paraphrase, but he says this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances verse 12 he says this i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty i have learned the secret to being content in every situation what he's saying is a joy killer is discontentment if you can't learn to in your circumstances appreciate that and and enjoy that and give thanks for that then you're going to lose joy I'll say it again in this American culture. If you haven't learned to be able to survey your situation and take a look around and be like, Lord, I'm content in this. Yeah, I wish I could have this or that or more of this or more of that. But what I do have now is enough. What's currently in my life is enough. Have you ever been at a good job? Literally, you're at a good job that's meeting all your needs. It's taking care of your family. It's doing all that it does, needs to do. Literally, you're fulfilled in that job. You have everything that you need. Have you ever been on that job and thought, I want another job? My next job is going to be, and you're already looking at something, and you're letting that discontentment grow in you, even though you have everything you need. Maybe for you, it's a vacation. Have you ever been on vacation? You're literally in the middle of the vacation, and you're at the vacation already thinking about the next vacation. That next vacation, when I get to that next vacation, I'm just going to, you have everything that you need in this vacation and you're not letting yourself be content. Are you with me? And you're thinking into the other thing already. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and you're like, my next marriage, I'm going <laughs> to... You laugh and some of you are like, that your hand almost went up. <laughs> but we get in these situations where that happens, where this discontentment starts to set in. We say, oh, if it could only be this, if I could only get to that. But Paul's saying, look, I have learned the secret of keeping my joy is to have this ability of, hey, you know what? Yeah, it'd be nice to have this and that. Whether I have much or whatever I have, I can be content with what God has given me. Are you with me? I'll close with this. Uh, Maddie, if you want to come. This is a terrible, 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 terrible uh, analogy. Oh, Maddie's all... Sometimes we try to tire her to stuff so she doesn't move around. She gets real discontent in these sermons and tries to. But my mentor gave me this horrible analogy, but it speaks it really, really well, because this is something we all deal with. This is the definition of being discontent. How many of you, if I were to make you tomorrow morning, you'd have to go out of your house? This will actually, I'm not going to have anyone raise hands because some of you are going to be like, I wouldn't care at all. And I'll be like, that's what's wrong with you. <laughs> But if tomorrow I made you go out of your house with two different socks, like just two totally different style socks and people had to know you had different socks. Again, some of you are like, why do I do it every day? Like, I But for me, it would drive me absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy to know that I'm spending the whole day with two different socks on. 
I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm not happy. I don't have joy. I can't do this. I got two different socks on, right? Or shoes or whatever you would want to say. Let's just, again, I told you in the beginning, it's a terrible example. But you're going through your, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have two different shoes on, I have two different socks on. But here's the reality. I have no reason to be discontent because the socks are doing the job, aren't they? They're, they're keeping my feet warm. They're doing the thing. We live our, it's such a terrible example, but we do it all. We do it all the time. We're in a house that's meeting the need. You have everything that you need to be happy and raise your family. To, and you sit in that house, oh my gosh, if I could just have this, I could, but it's meeting your need. You have all of these things. The bank account is good enough. You have plenty. Oh, if I could just do this and get to that, if I could just, it's fine. You're good. Paul's saying, I've learned the secret to be able to keep my joys, to be able to be content. Are you with me? Terrible example, I know. But the truth is, we've got to just learn that, like, to look around our lives and say, what do I have? And is it, it's enough. Because we're blessed. Are you with me? I love this thought. The richest person is not the one who has the most, but the one who needs the least walking around. I need, if we can get this, we need this. Have you ever walked through your house and say, that needs to be like this. We need to, and they don't need to be any of those things. We need to redefine need in our life. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. God knows exactly what we need in our life. And you could almost argue if it's not in your life, then you probably don't need it. And I'm not trying to like downplay someone who's really believing for a miraculous healing or, or, or something. I know that there's big things. But I'm talking about when you look at your life and you look at all that you have and you understand and you truly believe that God knows exactly what we need. And if you don't have it yet, you might not need it. Are you with me? And then this is the most misinterpreted scripture in all of the Bible. Paul says all of this stuff in Philippians 4. He's talking about anxiety and being content and having joy and not complaining. He does all these things and he wraps it up by saying this. Oh, by the way, you can live this way and you can do all of those things. And in verse 13, he does this scripture that you all know. He says, because I can do all things who Christ who strengthens me. That scripture is not so that you can win the football game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not so that you can get the promotion. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that scripture is put on there. Remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. What are the things that you can do? Be content, keep joy, rejoice in the Lord always. That's what the scripture is reminding you. You can do all things. You can do these things by Christ who gives you strength. Are you with me? That's how we do it. I don't know. It's not my personality. No, Christ who gives you strength. You can have joy and keep joy and walk in joy and be content and give thanks and not complain. Amen. Amen. 